Welcome to the weekly album anniversary recap show. Once again, as always, brought to you by CCM Twitter. On the show, we will look at the albums we celebrated from the week of January 8th through January 14th. And I'm your host, Caleb, or Caleb the Spy, on Twitter and Instagram. Every day on those social media sites, I post what I call album anniversaries, and it's just a celebration of the release date of that album. Such and such album was released 40 years ago on this date, and I post about it, and I love when people respond. It's great. A couple years ago, I had kind of created a a calendar to document some of these, you know, the really important release dates to me. And then in this last year, I added a whole bunch. Basically, every album I own is now on my calendar, as, lo- as well as a number of suggestions from other people. So it's kind of become a thing. It takes a fair amount of time to set them up, but it's lots of fun to see people respond and go back and forth about albums. And uh, it's just kind of become one of the things I really like doing on social media and just starting those conversations. I did, though, feel like I sometimes don't have enough time to say everything I want to about those albums. So I started this podcast so I could do a little uh, chit-chatting about some of those favorite some of the ones that are celebrating bigger albums and just do kind of a music review. The reality is, is I wanted to learn how to do a podcast and that felt like a, a good enough topic to do it. So mash those two things together. Want to do a podcast, have these album anniversaries. Let's throw them together. Let's get it out there. And uh, yeah, occasionally we'll talk about news or other things that are going on. I will talk about new music when it comes out, although right now uh, not a ton of new music is coming out. I'll do some of that as well. Uh, but you know, mostly we're here to talk about album anniversaries. And for those wondering, nobody's wondering, just to be clear, I am wearing my 1925 uh, Chicago, no, my 1925 Detroit Cubs hat. It's an old Negro League team from the 20s. You know, just just fun. Uh, And no real news right now. Uh, I know there's a bunch of albums set up for 2024. A couple people have started posting them. I'm interested to see what's going on. The one I am most excited for in 20, hopefully in 2024 or sometime soon is the album by uh, Catbite. They've started working on a new album. Really excited for that. That was one of my favorite albums from 2021, although we will later talk about my favorite album from 2021. The only other really bit of news is I found a whole bunch of old bootleg Five Iron Frenzy stuff. Somebody asked about it, and so I got that all onto a Dropbox. So if you're interested in like 270-some songs that are just old bootlegs of Five Iron Frenzy and rarities and random pieces of... uh, Music, uh, let me know, and I will. I'll, I can send you the, the link to that Dropbox, and you can download it and uh, enjoy the chaos that it is. Okay, we're three minutes in. Let's actually dive into some anniversaries. All right, the first album that I want to talk about is Fading West by Switchfoot, which was released 10 years ago in 2014. I'm looking for my own oasis, so close I can taste this. Fear that love alone races. So I'm back to the basics. I figure it's time I face this. Time to take my own advice. Love alone is worth the fight. Love alone is worth the fight. This is their ninth album, and it came out with a documentary. So it's it's funny how bands later in their career, I think, sometimes need just other things. It can't just be a record. It's There's got to be something else. I know the Foo Fighters did this with a number of their albums. They kind of had an, I'm going to use the word gimmick, and I know that's going to feel negative. I'm not trying to be, but they kind of had these these other things that they did with it. Uh, I think they had like four records in a row. So it's interesting to see kind of some of these these albums uh, later in, in a band's career kind of doing that. And this is probably when they were trying to switch over. I don't know if this was actually independent. I think it wasn't. I think this was still on their record, uh, the record label they had been on, because I think they tried to kind of 
I think they have their own record label now. And if I'm wrong on that, I apologize. But uh, this was, uh, I think, still on their old record label. And uh, yeah, I came out with a documentary as well around that time. Uh, so some of my, that's kind of the, the briefest history of it. Some of my quick thoughts. I will say, I I think Love Alone is is worth the fight, is, a, is good. And Back to the Beginning is a really solid closing track. And they still know how to put together these, you know, catchy hooks and these these real, real well, well put together songs. I will say this is a very good example of of why later Switchfoot doesn't work for me as much as early Switchfoot. And it it's not anything they're doing differently than they were doing early on. But I will say their lyrics are so ambiguous and often generic that they end up just sounding often a little cliche and I know this is this is gonna hurt some people I'm not trying to do that but this is why I don't feel like I connect to their later albums every song just because they don't want to be they I think as far as I can tell they're all still people who are who would call themselves Christians but they don't get specific about some of those things and so so many of their songs just feel like this these cliches over and over again and I know I'm sorry this is not what people want to hear but you know love is good being lost is bad coming alive is good we're on fire we my soul's on fire slipping away is bad I mean it's just kind of these these overarching themes those are just some of the ones I heard on this album that they don't really say anything specific and so you just get these kind of you know again these are really really catchy songs but just it's it's over over and over again and you know after album after album after album I do feel like it just kind of I want to hear more I don't want to hear just these cliches over and over again and yeah they're still well written they're still put together well but it just doesn't drive me it doesn't get me get me super amped and I just feel a little you know I don't know underwhelmed by it and I know that you know some people didn't like another album we're going to talk about later the five the most recent five iron frenzy release that they didn't like how specific it was and they wanted it to be more ambiguous and so i want a little of both i will be honest i don't want every song to be super specific but i want it to i liked i have said this before the 90s alternative christian music in my opinion was good christian music because it was about christian life it wasn't praise and worship and it wasn't necessarily just about nothing although sometimes it was just about nothing see banana man it was about Christian life at times, and I thought that that was really the peak and the pinnacle where you you did those two things well. Sometimes you were really specific, sometimes you were a little generic, that was okay, and Switchfoot just seems to always be on that generic side, and I think it's a conscious choice. I think they're doing what they should be doing. I'm not saying they shouldn't do it. I'm saying why it doesn't connect with me, you know, and maybe this works, but this is, it just feels like it's the same lyrical content for about eight albums now and I just it just doesn't do it for me and again wonderfully catchy really well done I just nothing on it captivates me enough to bring me deeper is is how I would say it so like a lot of their uh, later albums I I think this is it's okay but by the second half of this album I end up being just a little bit bored so that's my take on Switchfoot uh, Fading West which came out 10 years ago I'm so sorry if I upset anybody All right, let's talk about 1999's Stupidville, right? Yes, Stupidville by Zippy Josh and the Ragtag Band. (laughs) 
So after offer, Officer Negative had broken up, and Officer Negative, if you're not aware, was a Christian punk band from the 90s, and then they kind of circled again, they surfaced again in the 2000s, but after they had broke up, Josh, their guitarist, put out one other album as Zippy Josh and the Ragtag Band. It's described, he describes this as praise and worship, but I'll be honest, I don't hear it. I thought it was just kind of this, uh, it's this great little, I think it's, I think it's good. I think it's a good little uh, folk punk band, so it's kind of you know, punk feel, punk sound, but with more acoustic guitars. I did not catch the praise and worship nature of it, but maybe that's just me. But yeah, I, I, I like this. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I like AJJ, and I like the Violent Femmes, and I actually would love to see more kind of folk punk outfits out there doing their thing. I actually wish there was more of this. I I actually may like this even more than I like some of the Officer uh, Negative stuff, uh, although I, I do like their first two albums. I think they're really good. So uh, it's, you know, it's a little long. I think, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it's like 14 songs or so. You know, it's probably one of those things where he he had, thought he had one chance, so you throw everything on the table and see what sticks. And so it's a little long. I would I'd like it to be sh- shrunk down a little, but uh, yeah, you should go check it out. You can get it for like a dollar on Bandcamp. Again, uh, Stupidville, I believe. Yeah, Stupidville by Zippy Josh and the Ragtag Band. You can actually get a ton by that record label, a ton of albums. I think you get their entire discography for like six, seven bucks. It's a great deal. Totally worth checking out. Uh, absolutely worth your your six dollars in my opinion. Okay, let's talk about Led Zeppelin by Led Zeppelin, also known sometimes known as Led Zeppelin One, which came out uh, fifty five years ago. Oh, well, math, math. Uh, let's see, it was came out in nineteen sixty nine. So uh, let's see here, thirty, yeah, fifty five, forty five, fifty five. I'm really good at math. You can tell fifty five years. Ago. Oh, yeah, it's 10 years older than me. <laughs> I'm smart. Came out 55 years ago. So they had formed kind of the year before this, and then they rolled this out pretty quickly because this came out in January of, of 1969, and it's it's what Led Zeppelin is, right? It's that blues, folk, hard rock, and I see, oh, this is going to be another controversial take. I see Led Zeppelin a bit like the Beatles for kind of that heavier hard rock music, and even if you don't like them, it's hard to deny how influential they are, and yes, I am aware that a lot of people would see them as just kind of a cover band, and I think that's an oversimplification, but they have gotten into some trouble for kind of ripping off a bunch of people and ripping off blues rock and, and kind of making it, you know, t- turning it into their thing. But I think you can't deny what this album did and what it's done, and that's why I think it's worthwhile to check out. And yeah, I, I, I will be honest, in my opinion, I like it. It's good old rock and roll, and when I'm in the mood for that, yep, I can totally put on Led Zeppelin and totally dig it. I went through a bit of a Led Zeppelin phase sometime in the 2000s, early 2000s, where I went back and really kind of dug deeper into their discography. And yeah, if you're into that, in the mood for some just good old rock and roll, uh, that's a good spot to be. So Led Zeppelin's first album, Led Zeppelin, often referred to as Led Zeppelin 1, 55 years ago, 1969. I'm good at my job. This isn't my job. I'd like it to be my job. My job, this was a weird week for me. I 
I tried to listen to as much music as I can, but work was so stressful. I work as a contractor, and I was so stressed about work that um, it was a really rough week for me. I barely ate. I barely slept because we were waiting on an extension. So, uh, yeah, I'd love this for me to, this for, to be my job. Don't think it's going to happen as I stumble over every third word. Let's talk about another album from 2014. Maybe I should have organized these better, uh, putting them next to other albums that came around that same time. But this is Wishful Thinking by Neck Deep. Came out in 10 years ago in 2014. All right, so this Neck Deep, if you don't know, is a, I think they're Welsh. They're a Welsh uh, pop punk band, and this is their debut album. Their sophomore album is absolutely fantastic. It's on my top 150 list. I don't know where, but it absolutely is. And uh, they're putting out a new album really soon. I think it's in another week. Uh, So new album coming from Neck Deep. Uh, They've gone through a number of lineup changes, but I think uh, there's two or three of them that are still kind of that same core group. Maybe even four, but uh, they have gone through a number of changes over the last couple of years. Uh, but I'm excited for their new album. Uh, some quick thoughts on this one. Look, they they make the joke that they're bad generic pop punk. And that's what this is. It's, it's pretty generic. It's pretty basic pop punk. But I totally dig it. And this album, I, I really like this album. It's not as good as their sophomore release. But I think this might be better than some of their later stuff. Their later stuff, I I I don't love because I feel like they really have gone heavy on some of the pop ballads, and I don't. The, this really strays away from that. There's the final song is more of a slowdown song, but it's only one song. The rest of it is kind of driving pop punk stuff. I mean, it, it's very poppy, very 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 poppy. But I totally dig that. Uh, I I really can enjoy that. You do have to dig uh, deal with the curses. Uh, just to, for those who are don't love the curses, they curse a fair amount, and yeah, you're you're not gonna get away from that. So uh, on this album anyway. So uh, good good album worth checking out. Uh, I like Neck Deep um, as a newer uh, a pop punk band because again, this came out uh, about ten years ago, so they've only been around ten years. All right, let's talk next about John Gibson, Body and Soul. And this came out sometime in 1989, so celebrating a 35-year anniversary. And I will say, this is not really my thing, but it's a big anniversary, so I want to talk about it. I'm going to be real brief about this one. I will say, Josh is one of the people that turned me on to this album. I added it to my calendar because it's one of his favorite albums. And he is one of the the kings of uh, CCM Twitter and really uh, CCM music in general. He writes for Jesus Freak Hideout. Uh, super, super good guy. I really like his musical recommendations, even if I don't always agree with them. They're always well thought out. And he admitted that this probably is a little dated. And I was glad to hear him say that because it, it made me kind of enjoy it a little more just to be like, okay, even even fans of this can recognize this is a little dated, but it still, still was interesting. Um, I wouldn't go back to it as regularly, but uh, it was enjoyable to listen to. And I like checking out new stuff, even if it's you know, 35 years old, and uh, dude's like in his 60s, he's still doing worship stuff, and he looks pretty cool now, so even if his uh, stuff was dated, he's, he's, he's got the, the look down now, so uh, Josh, I'm sorry, John Gibson, Josh Gibson is a old former uh, Negro League baseball player, 
you should totally check out check out Josh Gibson as well. But John Gibson, Body and Soul, some uh, sometime in 1989. So I just threw it on the calendar in early January. All right, let's talk about one that actually did have a release date in early January, which is still it's just so funny to me. But this is Yellow Submarine by the Beatles, released in 1969, so also celebrating a 55-year anniversary. So this was a movie, it was a cartoon, it was an album with only like uh, not a couple of new songs on it, and it was a contractual obligation. (laughs) The Beatles were obligated contractually to, I think, put four new songs on this, so they did. It also had Yellow Submarine, which had been previously released, and I believe All You Need Is Love is the other uh, song on this that had been previously released. But then you got four new songs. Hey Bulldog, I think, is potentially the most well-known I think that's what it's called hey bulldog i think that's potentially the most well known from this and and then the back half of it is just uh music for the cartoon that was released so <laughs> this one's a funny one in that it's just totally a con- contractual obligation and uh, i'm just gonna be honest you can kind of tell <laughs> they were maybe phoning this one in just a little bit and yet it still has you know yellow submarine which i would argue may be the most recognizable beatles song i mean even not because it's the best Beatles song, but just most recognizable. So this is the soundtrack to Yellow Submarine technically counts as a release for them and came out 55 years ago this week. And yeah, so that's that's it. All right, so there's so many other great albums, but those are kind of a lot of the ones celebrating the big anniversaries. So I'm going to go really fast through a ton of them and try not to uh, have this get so super long, almost at 20 minutes and just getting into this. So I'm going to go fast. Uh, this is me just trying to pound through some stuff. Uh, so here we go. Uh, Holland by the Beach Boys released in 1973. This is the last great Beach Boys album. I said confidently, but then realized I maybe should ask it as a question. I think it is. I think it is kind of the last great, uh, Beach Boys album. Uh, this wraps up a great streak of those late Beach Boys, uh, albums after, oh my gosh, uh, after Pet Sounds, there's a stretch of them that I think were not huge commercial successes, but now looking back, I think people realize how great they were. And this is kind of the last one, in my opinion. Came out in 1973, Holland. All right, and then we're going to talk about uh, some hip-hop here. Uh, Deep Space Five, The Night We Called It A Day, the debut album by this hip-hop collective, came out in 2002. And I hadn't listened to this in a while, and it's a little long. That's my common complaint about so many albums. But there are so many people on this album and so much talent absolutely worth checking out it is free on bandcamp uh so you just have to do deep space five on bandcamp and you should be able to find it a lot of actually they have a lot of their stuff available for free on bandcamp you should go totally check their stuff out and yeah this album is it's great Uh, it's a great album there's a lot of people on it so you know there's obviously you run that risk of sometimes if you don't connect with everybody and they keep on coming up every every second song or so but this is this worth checking out in my opinion um, and, uh, my favorite of two of the people on the album are Mars Ill, which is the next one I want to talk about, which is raw material. And that came out in 2000. And I just noticed I have no notes about it. Cause I listened to it while I was hanging out with my kids. This is their debut. It's good. 
I, I really like it. I think they took the big step forward with Backbreakonomics, but you can tell on this one the talent is here. I love their kind of grimy sound, their underground sound, their the way they do their production. Really enjoy it. So Raw Material by Mars Ill. I think it's kind of hard to find. It is not... I don't, I had a hard time finding an image for it for my Twitter post, but really good. The song that everybody seems to connect with is Love Is Not, which I like as well, but I think there's other songs I like more on this album, but that seems to be a big one. Uh, So if you want to check out a song that everybody seems to really dig, Love Is Not is, uh, or Love Is, there's a song about love. Love is the key, going back to my Switchfoot review. Just let's talk about love. Okay, let's talk about two David Bowie albums. One is Black Star, released in 2016, and the other one is Low, released in 1978. And I like both of these for, they're both unique in a couple ways. So Black Star obviously came out on his birthday in 2016, and then he died two days later. So it's a haunting album, really just a, even if you don't like the music off of it, it there's something haunting about it. He wrote that clearly knowing he was, coming to the end of his life, and it's a great final album, I will say. I I, I enjoy Black Star from 2016, and then Low was from 1978, and that is the first of his Berlin trilogy, which I think is a great way to get into David Bowie. If you're interested why David Bowie is so good, uh, you Google his Berlin trilogy, and I should have it in front of me, which three albums it is, uh, but I don't. But Low is the first one, and then the next two uh, albums in his discography. It's a great way to kind of because uh, he's got so many albums, uh, it's a great way to kind of get into David Bowie and kind of take a deeper dive into it without having to bite off more than you can chew. So that Berlin trilogy, really good, and Low is the first one on that. Let's talk about Starflyer 59. I'm going to mess up the title. I am a CEO, I think is what how you're supposed to say it. It's all capitalized and it's all like one word. So it's I-A-M-A-C-E-O. I think that's what it's supposed to be, 2012. This was crowdfunded, as I believe, and there's two release dates for this. He released it digitally in December, and then it came up physically in January. I will probably, from this point on, talk about the digital release. I guess I don't know. Uh, I think I moved it on my calendar. So it might come up again in December, because December is even more shallow than my January calendar. This is really solid. I like it. I'm not a huge Starflyer 59 uh, person, but I really like this, and I think this was a really personal album for... Uh, for him. So that's worth checking out uh, for sure. So I am a CEO is my best attempt at it. Tell me if I got it wrong. Let's talk about Rich Mullins, The World as Best I Remember It, Volume 1 and Volume 2. Volume 1 came out in 1991 and then Volume 2 came out in 1992. I do not know the release dates for these, so I just put them on the calendar sometime in January. And this, uh, I I think Eric had turned me on to these. I think at least one of these is on his, I know both of them are on his favorite albums list. And then volume one is on the greatest CCM albums of all time list that CCM magazine put out. And sorry, I leaned in close to my microphone. If that was too loud, I apologize. And I don't know, for me, when I listen to these two albums, this feels a bit like the foundation of CCM in the nineties. I don't know why I felt that way listening to it, but I really felt like this just kind of sets a tone for the nineties in, in CCM music. And yeah, that was kind of my thoughts on it. Really enjoyed, really, really enjoyed listening to both of those albums on uh, the day they came out. I think I actually listened to them the day before. That is totally irrelevant to this conversation. I enjoyed listening to them. Okay, so let's flip up to the other side. And I didn't write down the date. Good job, me. But uh, Give Us Rest by David Crowder. Well, this was their last album, and it's 101 minutes, which is way too long, even though it's pretty good. And... 
you know, I think the reality is David Crowder Band had run its course. And yeah, this is still, um, I, I wish they were still going on. I'll be honest, I think this is still better than anything David Crowder is doing today. But that is neither here nor there. And yeah, 101 minutes, super long. But the David Crowder Band has always been something that's interested me. I opened my water bottle while I was talking, and now I clunked it together, and I'm sure my mic picked it up. This is going to be really quality listening. Who wants to listen to me talk about everything my microphone might pick out? I think that's really good. I had books fall over when I started recording. I cut that out so you didn't hear that because I'm sitting in a room with a whole bunch of uh, books around me. And my Watchmen comic fell over onto some action figures. This is turning into a total train wreck. If you get to this part in the show, tweet me. Train wreck. Caleb, you're talking about your books falling over. All right, let's talk about Joyce Manor's self-titled release in 2013. This is, they're a punk rock uh, outfit. This was on Asian Man Records. They've gone on to be, a, I think, a bigger a bigger band. I mean, they're, they're not huge, but they've kind of, uh, I think they're kind of a indie darlings of the uh, of the punk rock scene. I think they get some play on in Pitchfork. Their, their albums usually get picked up and reviewed by them. This was their debut. It's 10 songs. It's under 20 minutes. It's that's so punk rock, man. I like it. It's it's pretty good. Uh, Joyce Manor is... I, I enjoy them. Nothing amazing to me, but I, I do enjoy listening to them. And, you know, it's 20 minutes. You know, what is, what's it going to hurt? It's, you know, you have a cup of coffee, listen to this album, go about your day. All right, let's talk about 2010, uh, 2010's Contra by Vampire Weekend. And, man, this is just so New York indie pop. This is, this is it. This is being a hipster. This is as close as I get to being a hipster, and I like it. I'm. It's another one that I'm not going to go back to a bunch, but it's it's catchy. You can tell it's they're talented, and you know it's worth mentioning because I think for a lot of people, it kind of defines that 2010s hipster indie sound. I think that's what this is known for. It's also known for the cover that ended in a lawsuit. I think they got sued over the cover because they used the the picture. And she was not happy about it. It's a picture from like super long ago. All right. This is really riveting stuff. Amazing Grace by Justin McRoberts came out in 2010. This one was a fun one because I, my version of this is this is five songs. It's Amazing Grace. It's the three, three acoustic versions of songs from his previous album. And then one new song, I believe. And at least one person was like, what are you talking about? This is just one song. So I have a five song EP. It's listed as a five song EP on his Wikipedia page. He saw those tweets and liked them, but didn't feel to feel the need to jump in and clarify for us. So, Justin, help us out. What is, what was this? I think it's possible I got this off Noise Trade before Noise Trade imploded. And so maybe that's what I got. But right now, if you want to listen to this, you can't actually. You can only get the song Amazing Grace, which is still totally worth it. I, his version is fun. That came out in 2007. I don't know anything more than that. Good history on this one. But I love Justin McRoberts. I'm going to mention him on the show. Uh, just like this next artist, Elvis Costello, Life, uh, I have in my notes, Life at Highway High, uh, Hollywood High. That is that is not right at all. It's Live at Hollywood High. And this came out in 2010, but it was actually recorded back in like 1978. And it's really good. It's a, it's an enjoyable listen. It's not as good as, I'm going to mess up the title, Live at the Macombo, where he is clearly intoxicated through half of it. And that one just feels really kind of like a watch me play loud and uh, just power through this. But this is still good. It's a good collection of old songs uh, from 1978. And uh, I love Elvis Costello and listening to his live stuff was really good. Okay, I have I have four more 
And I'm, I know this is getting long, but I'm going to push through it. Pulses by Fast Feeling in 2017. And this is a Five Iron Frenzy spinoff. You're going to hear me talk about these. And this is good. It's enjoyable musically. It's great. I would actually love to see them put out an instrumental version of this album because I am going to just mention the vocals. Uh, Leonor from Five Iron Frenzy, she plays saxophone, and then she did the vocals for them. And she has admitted on a podcast that they did a lot of enhancement in a computer on her vocals that... They, they feel like she could definitely get to a spot where she is leading a band vocally, but it would probably have taken more time. And so instead, they just kind of, they did a lot of manipulation. And it does, I think, bring down the volume of her vocals. They sometimes get hidden a little bit in some of the tracks. That's my opinion. And I, again, I am not a musical genius. Uh, and really, so if, that could that could be way off. But she, she said that on the Bad Sheep podcast that they did do a lot of manipulation. And I think that does impact the sound. There are times where it's a little hard to make out the lyrics, and I think she writes really, really good lyrics. So I would be interested to see if they ever had more time for her to really develop her vocal chops, and they could bring her up a little higher in the mix. I think it'd be really great because musically, this is really fun. I uh, I have it on vinyl, and it's it's really enjoyable. It's a really enjoyable listen. I don't think a ton of people knew about it. Um, the other I should say I'm mentioning all the Five Iron Frenzy connections. Uh, the lead guy, Mac, Matt Langstrom from 1170, who I had never heard, honestly, before this, but they're kind of another pop, kind of an alt-pop band. He does a lot of the, the instrumentation on here with Scott Kerr from Five Iron Frenzy. So that came out in 2017. Definitely worth checking out. Absolutely worth checking out if you haven't before. Okay, down to three albums, and this is probably where I should have made the break. I probably should have talked about it. I have three albums left because all three of these are on my top 150 albums list. And I'm actually going, oh, I'm going to count right down. I didn't mean, mean even mean to do that, but here I go. Here we go. Three Cheers for Disappointment by uh, the Arrogant Sons of Bitches. Sorry for the curses. Came out in 2016. This is a ska punk uh, album when ska punk was totally dead. This is 2006. It is the doldrums. There's nobody doing this. And here's Jeff Rosenstock doing his thing. And this is very raw. It's very Jeff. It's very intense. It's a little bit chaos, and I really love this album. It is 144 on my top 150 albums list. I have it on vinyl. It's really great. Uh, I'm gonna remember. I'm gonna f- uh, forget the kind of the big song off this one. It's not a big song because n- this was never a hit, but it's still a song to this day that I can just really get jazzed about. I'm gonna look it up. So you're gonna uh, let's, let's. You'll hear me typing. No, you won't. I'm gonna edit it all out. So Let's Go Nowhere is the kind of the song that, that became a bit of an anthem off this album, and it, it's really good. It's The whole album is worthwhile listening to. It's actually, I think it's really, really good, but uh, that song kind of is a bit of an anthem for those of us who really want to see ska punk still going and still a thing. Uh, that, that song seems to be a bit of an anthem for us. So number, number 144 on my uh, 150 favorite albums list. All right, let's talk about The King is Dead by the Decemberists, which came out in 2010. This was my introduction to them. I had not, I was not familiar with the Decemberists before this album, I believe. I'd maybe heard a little, but I don't think I had. So this was my introduction to them. This is still my favorite album by them. And this is number 40 on my all-time favorite albums list. It's 
Great Americana. I think it's the album where they most intended to just make an Americana album, and it's great. I I think it's only 10 songs, maybe 11, and every single one of them is perfect. The song uh, June Hymn, Every that is that song reminds me of my daughter who was born and this is I think I was late on this album because she was born in two thousand uh no she was born in two thousand ten right no 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 she was born in I'm a really good father she was born in two thousand eleven and this that song reminds me of her so much so I think I even discovered this discovered them after this album had come out but I this really made me fall in love with the Decemberists I went back and I I own all their albums now. But uh, this is one that I tried to buy on vinyl, and it just kept on showing up super scratched and warped, and I was really frustrated. So I spent, I've already spent like probably 10 to $15 on shipping for an album I do not own, because I kept on having to send it back to them. I'd love to get this on vinyl at some point, because it is my favorite album by the Decemberists. And uh, yeah, The King is Dead, June Hymn, I love that song, it makes me tear up every time. But I'm pretty easy to make cry. See this week at work, where I was super stressed, and I was fighting back tears the whole week. Good job, me. The last album I'm going to talk about, and I don't really have any notes on this, so we'll try and keep this contained. We're already probably past the time limit I should be on, is uh, Until This Shakes Apart by Fiverr and Frenzy, which came out in 2021, and this is number 15 on my all-time favorite albums list. There are Fiverr and Frenzy albums that are going to be higher on my list, uh, but you know they are my favorite band by far and away, and so to have this album come out in 2021, this... This album really resonated with me, and uh, the the I think the thesis statement of this album is to keep on singing, keep on going for the, the faith that you think you're supposed to follow, keep on pursuing Jesus, don't be ashamed of who you are and what you believe, but also knowing that you may not fit in with everybody, and that is okay. There are places where you belong. And I, I, that resonates with me as somebody who has really, really struggled to find a place in evangelical culture over the last 10 years. Somebody who has questioned whether I should be going to church anymore, even though I want to go to church. I'm a person who wants to go to church. And I apologize, this is going to get probably more personal than people want, but we've been struggling to find a place for the last, really since 2017, but further back than that, even personally, I was at a church that I had been at for a long time, and I just did not feel like I fit in anymore over the last 10 years with some of the stuff that's happened in our country and just my frustrations with it. And they just were totally, I've been called stupid for a number of reasons in church settings over the last 10 years, and it's made me want to go, forget this, why am I showing up to this church just so people can make fun of me and think I'm stupid for not falling in line with what everybody else thinks. And that really resonated to me. And I know some people have str- have did not like this album. I think some people did not like this album because it was too political and it was saying things about them. And so I think some people really wanted to like Five Iron Frenzy still and they made up. I'll be honest. I think there's some people who said things like, oh, I don't like how it's so specific. I don't like how... They're talking about specific things, and I think the reality is I think some people didn't like this album because it said things that they just disagree with, and they want to find other reasons not to like this and pretend like it isn't about the politics, and I think it is. There's no way around it. This album has a lot of political message on it. Maybe Reese went too far. I think that's entirely possible. Maybe there should have been times where he was a little less, but it felt like he needed to say these things. Maybe this album won't age as well because... It's going to be kind of a lost moment in time. I just don't think that's true. Heading into this election year, I just feel like we're not getting 
less uh, polarized and less political, it's getting more. So I'm probably exposing a little bit of my political bent on this. I, I definitely side more with Five Iron on this, that I this resonated with me. A lot of the things they said, not every last thing, but a lot of the things they said on this album really resonated with me for sure. And I was just even kind of happy to hear people who still would say they are Christians say some of these things. And I know some people would say they're not Christians because they they do say those things. Whatever. I don't really care. Musically, I think this is one of their this is a really good album. I think it's one of their best. I think it's up there with Engine of a Million Plots. Engine of a Million Plots may be a little bit more, but I actually like how they dip back into the ska stuff a little bit more on this one. Not a ton, I will be honest. It's still very much rock with horns. But, uh, you know, songs like So We Sing, I still can totally jam out to. And I really think the last four uh, four songs on this album, While Supplies Last, Wildcat, Like Something I Missed, and Herfano? Herfano. I don't know how to say that. Uh, but that song, especially with the, the part I've said it before, when they yell, uh, you belong, that really means a lot to me. And, you know, Like Something I Missed, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to get too into it, but I really think that might be that might be Reese's most emotionally raw and exposed song that he's ever done. And I really appreciate it. Even if I know some people, you, you, you can figure out what the story is. If you Google the, the lyrics, uh, there's a, at least one website that there's somebody who's made a note about what those lyrics are talking about. And I do, I do think it's, you know, potentially one of his most emotionally exposed songs. And I know this album is not silly. It's, it's not as silly as people wanted, but with everything that was, Reese was going through personally, it I think it makes sense. And I'm all for bands. You gotta, you gotta, bands got a band. They gotta do what they're gonna do. And you may not like it. That's fine. But this album really hit home for me. It really was a comfort to me as I still struggled in a post-COVID haze of uh, I didn't. I, well, I did get COVID, but like everybody else did. But it still was this emotional resonance to me and it was my favorite album of 2021 i think it still is my favorite album of 2021 and my goodness i hope we get more from them i really do hope we get at least one more album from them uh i know a lot of them are pushing pushing their late 40s 50s even so uh, i hope we do get one more thing from them so i probably talked too long about it especially because uh it's not a big anniversary but the five iron frenzy things are always going to get a little more love from me on this show because it's my show and you know there's only like nine or ten of you listening so you know i'm gonna do what i want to do for this all right that was everything from the week of january 8th through january 14th next week some of the posts that you will hear from me are about the sundays pigeon john john foreman lecrae young oceans black flag one bad pig Ooh, sky's dead compilation bob dylan uh, LSU, I always say LSU and then I, I shouldn't because it's, uh, Lifesavers Underground, High, High Society Collective, The Aquabats, Switchfoot, again, Pedro the Lion, Husker Du, Mute Math, The Shins, Joe Strummer, Bon Iver, The Decemberists, again, Justin McRoberts, again, Bad Religion, and Skakama, oh man, I'm gonna mess this up, how does, how do you say this name? This is a ska band that I've never actually said the name out loud. Skamikaze, there you go, I got it. We'll also t- I'll also post about them. I don't know if I'll talk about all those on the show, but uh, those are posts that I kind of was interested in. So thanks so much for joining me. The music you hear at the beginning and the end of the show is the instrumental version of Sing It Out at Street Level by Peg and the Rejected, which is members of the Dingies focused on ska songs. And uh, yeah, check out uh, Peg and the Rejected, check out the Dingies and anything else they do. I think they do good work. 
let me know what you think. What did I get right? What did I get wrong? Why is my Switchfoot take bad? I, I, I don't know if it's a good take. It's my take for sure, but it is why Switchfoot doesn't resonate with me. That was like 40 minutes ago, though, so you've probably forgotten what I said, which is probably good. But what were your favorites from this week? What are what are albums that came out this week that you were excited to revisit? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Caleb the Spy with no spaces. I'm also on Instagram at Caleb the Spy with underscores in between the words. And you can always email me at Caleb the Spy podcasts at gmail.com. No spaces or underscores in that. If there are albums that should be on my calendar, please let me know. Probably email might actually be the best way to do it at this point. I get tweeted about them occasionally and I lose track of them. Uh, I still need to set up every post for this week, so that's going to take me about two, three hours. I got to get that done, and I got to get this edited and out the door. Uh, please subscribe and share the podcast. If you're so inclined, leave a rating or review. I have heard that that is the most effective way to spread the word about podcasts. And most of all, thank you if you engage with me at all on social media. Like I just said, I'm going to spend a, a fair amount of time setting these up. I do spend a lot of time setting up these daily posts, and I do it because I think people enjoy it. I do it because I like talking with people about it, and uh, it's always a thrilled to see people discover older albums or engage with about music so thanks if you engage with me at all on social media thanks again for listening and i hope to talk to you next week 